You are freer than you think. It's like the ultimate form of freedom. You expound upon that freedom to develop on this planet. True freedom comes from within. It's the ability. Thinking to myself, I can help you or I can destroy you. Man, as a two-time felon, I work really hard and I've been a, I've been a life learner. When things are feeling tough, let yourself be surprised. The world favors risk-taking. Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to the Freedom Pact. Right at the start of the book, you say um, this book is for you for every time you thought there must be more to life. Um, so on this idea of legacy, I was actually talking to, to my best friend about this this morning. I just wonder if you could sort of define what legacy means to you and ultimately why people should care about it. Oh, yeah, good. Good question. I think there's a quote circulating around that talks about it. You know, it's not really about what you do, but how you make people feel. And that's maybe an easy way to, to put it is your legacy is what you leave behind with other people. It can be structures. It can be anything that you're leaving behind through your efforts, I would say, is the, the short way to put it. For me, the reason it's so important is because... I think there's a lot of expediency today. People just want results now. They want the benefit now. Everything is very instantaneous, as we know. And legacy to me is a word that makes me think of my grandparents. It makes me think of my great-grandparents. It's something that endures. And I think we could all use a little bit more of that enduring, long-term, long-lasting mindset toward our actions, mm -hmm. our decisions. Um, I certainly in my in my twenties the the choices were about you know today this week this month maybe this year but twenty years down the line fifty years down the line was not really in my purview so and and I think we get lost in complaining about the day to day and then <laughs> ten years go by and we say where did it go right I mean when we started recording today it's sort of this idea of time and how we have such limited time. So I, I really, to me, it's one, what are you leaving behind? And two, did you enjoy any part of it? Was it fulfilling while you did it? Because your time is so limited and we waste a, a lot of it. Frankly, I, I, I do, right? We have these idle moments, we waste them away. So those two elements really made me think, okay, I need to hear this. I, I reread chapters sometimes when I'm feeling, uh, feeling low. So they, they help me and I, I'm hoping that they'll help other people to think about where they're headed and then get very present in the mo present moment and say, okay, am I consciously using this time or am I mindlessly scrolling it away? Mm. Here's an interesting, um, I'm not sure if you've ever pondered this, but a lot of friends of mine um, are authors and I've, I've talked to them about sort of their process of writing a book and, and what it does for them. And a lot of people sort of give the answer of they like the idea of, again, legacy, leaving something behind, like leaving something on this earth, you know, long after they're gone, that's going to impact people. And when I think like that, I wonder in any way, if you think that sort of leaving a legacy that you're proud of in turn helps people come to terms with their own mortality. Mm. it's a good question 
I don't know that they're related necessarily because I think people can be very driven and focused on what they leave behind without coming to terms with the mm -hmm. idea the fact that we all die. I think you can be sort of motivated by ego. I definitely, if I'm truthful, I decided to write this book because I thought it was the right thing to do. That was the initial motivation. It, yeah. You know, it was, okay, I should, I should write a book. Notable people write books. This is, this is the way to let's say, leave a legacy. So it feels like the right thing to do. And it's funny because, you know, in the book, I talk about how a lot of us are driven by this should concept. And, you know, I'm, I'm no exception. I, in the beginning, I felt like I should do this thing because that will leave a meaningful legacy. And I think in the process of writing it, I recognize that, no, it's really about the value you're delivering and the value you're delivering to yourself through writing it. There's a transformation and a process that happens. So I don't know that, I don't know that when people set out what their legacy will be, you know, you think of like a Roman conqueror conquering a whole city or so. I don't know that, that it consciously helps people to say, okay, I'm going to die one day. Here's what I'll do. But that's certainly a powerful reframe that I talk about in the book to, to get you to use your time more wisely. Mm. I just mm. don't, I don't know that the two are inherently related in the sense that you could leave a really meaningful legacy and not be okay with the fact that you're going to die. You could actually, you could actually be more and more motivated and try to resist death in a way because you feel like you have more to do, or you feel like you, you want to achieve more or have more status. So I think the intent maybe is sort of the important part to me. Um, and, and I don't know that through writing a book or th that I, that that helped me. What helps me is the, those mindset shifts, those reframes of like, okay, imagine you're 80 and talking about your career. You know, what, what did you do? What did, who did you help? Those types of mindset shifts help me to come to terms more with the fact that, okay, one day I'll actually be 80 or, some older age and, and need and be looking back. So putting myself in the shoes of that version or that, I guess, part of myself or time in my life, that helps me personally. So I don't know about anyone else, but <laughs> that's, that's what I think. So in the sort of early chapters, you, you sort of just talk about how our ideas of success are, are tied to our sense of fulfillment in a lot of ways. The word success is a funny one and it means a lot to different people, but what does the word success mean to you? Yeah, it's a good question. I really wrestled with that as well, because in the beginning I thought I was writing a book about success, whatever that, whatever that means. I think often our minds go instantaneously to money, right? Or some material form of success, achievement, recognition in the public sphere, societal, whatever societal group that you've attached yourself to. That's what we often think success is um and through writing i think that's the transformation i i had through getting this book to the <laughs> to the final page is success for me is delivering aligned value and contribution and the two are sort of value is what i delivered to you or anyone listening being aligned in my contribution is me feeling satisfied at the end of the day saying okay, I did good things based on my moral compass, based on the person I want to be. It's building char character, I, I think. Um, 
and a good good character let's say you can be all kinds of things um and i i think that's what success is really at the end of the day saying you know i did i did my best because if you can have a good day you you have a good life essentially the more good days you have or the more um, i gave a talk at ucla and i talked about green hours right a green hour versus a red hour in terms of fulfillment so to me trying to make it more granular rather than grandiose you know, do you have the Lamborghini? Do you have the huge house? Did you check the boxes of these achievements or levels in life? I think success is how many days do you go to bed feeling like this was a good day? This was a satisfying day. Kind of like when you eat a really great meal <laughs> and you, at the end, you're like, okay, this is satisfying. You don't have that afternoon slump, like a satisfying meal. I feel like that satisfying feeling at the end of your day, the more days that are like that, to me, that's, that's how you build a successful life. And so everyone's definition of that feeling and that the actions that'll bring you there is different. And that's what's so interesting in my work is seeing, okay, what does it take to get that deep, enduring sense of fulfillment and satisfaction in your life? Yeah, I love that. And I think that sort of goes hand in hand with later on in the book, you talk a lot about authenticity. And um, it's an interesting one when you couple that with success because I think staying true to to yourself and and everything you believe is is really really important but it's also a big struggle when it comes to you know that success in terms of when we talked about chasing money chasing you know specific metrics and I was I've been guilty of this myself in the fact uh, in the past is I found it really easy to get swept up in in what drives results what drives numbers I've done it on this podcast before where I've interviewed certain guests and sort of prodded at certain topics that I knew would drive views and sort of revenue but then after the fact I felt almost dirty about it and then never put those clips out or those episodes out even though I know they would have generated a, a lot more um, traction than something I actually find meaningful and I always found that a bit of a struggle to to balance the two but i find at the end of the day now i feel a lot better in myself going to bed at night knowing that i'm talking about things that you know are true to myself so i wonder um if you could speak on how important authenticity is when you are you know chasing a dream because it is quite easy to get swept up in things that aren't really true to yourself yeah, 100%. And I, so there's another chapter that's about vulnerability. And I think the two go hand in hand. So part one of the book is about choice and your sort of internal game. And then part three is about how you share that with the world. And that's where authenticity is. So I think there's self-awareness and vulnerability in part one, and then this authenticity in part three. I think your story gives a really great example of the fact that, you know, yes, you went astray and that's very human, but your internal compass, whatever you want to call that, conscience or however you feel you're guided by your, your decision-making, that brought you back. It said, Lewis, you know, that's not the way. That's not what I want. And and for some of us, we go off track. We go really off track. <laughs> and then we have to kind of come back to the the way that we we know is, is truthful and correct. And I think that if we employ, you know, a sense of self-awareness and vulnerability, 
within ourselves to say, okay, here's what's really going on. Here's why I'm really doing this. I mean, I had to do it with the book and say, okay, I'm doing this because I think it's right. It's egotistical. I, I think I should write this book and it'll be really, you know, I'll sell it and it'll be this trophy in a sense. And I really had to reckon with myself and say, no, I'm writing this book to, to help people. And if I write it from that lens, what am I saying? And I, I rewrote pretty much the whole book. <laughs> so I think the, the point about authenticity is if you, if you start with the vulnerability and self-awareness to say, okay, where am I at? Then the hope is you catch yourself before you go astray. But if you don't, which again is very human and expected and the point of life is you know you're you're on this path so you're going to meander i think a little bit of giving yourself a bit of grace is so critical too it's like you're going to come up against a challenge and then you have a you have a decision to make and sometimes you're going to make the wrong decision mm. like you know wrong for you for what you thought was correct or true like you'll just you will do the wrong quote unquote thing but in that misstep you're making a really, you, you have the opportunity to really learn something. And so even in your example, right? It's like, okay, no, this this isn't authentic to me, to what I want for this show. I'm going to, to do something different. And even if you did release those clips, maybe you notice it a year later. Maybe it's with another clip that you notice it. The amount of time it takes you to kind of get to that point, some people spend a lifetime and that's that's okay. That's their lesson. It's a lesson that they're kind of really working on learning. So we learn, I think, different lessons at different speeds, and that's okay. Um, but I think it's so critical because you won't have that go-to-bed-satisfied feeling without your inner values and morals being congruent with what you show the world, which is authenticity. Authenticity is my inner morals and my inner values are congruent with what I'm sharing with you today. Then I'm... I'm authentic. I, I feel that I'm being authentic. You hopefully resonate or whoever listens resonates with that authenticity because it's coming straight from my heart and my values. So that's why authenticity is critical because it allows you to show the world what's truly in your heart and mind and, and what you stand for. Hmm. Um, but that can be, that can be a long road to getting, <laughs> getting there to be willing to, to show that amazing yeah that's exactly what i was sort of trying to get at there but obviously i, I couldn't put it in such a, a beautiful and eloquent way as you just did so i really appreciate that um you mentioned that the start of the book being on choice and this is a bit that sort of stood out to me and um a part i highlighted when you say um you can decide right now to take matters into your own hands and make a change it doesn't have to take a near-death experience for you to decide to be better i wonder if you could just talk about the power of the choice and a moment in your life where that was really apparent to you and a, and a really powerful point where you made a choice. Yeah. I mean, the power of choice, I think there's, there's so much that we don't have control of and that we don't have a choice in that in my sessions with clients, it's really, I noticed it's really easy for people to focus there. All of the things that are going wrong in the world, in their personal lives at work, it's really easy to complain or focus on where we have really no control or power. And then we feel powerless as a result. So when I say choice, I mean, we have a choice in where we focus and that is our thoughts and then our actions. That's really it. I can't control what you do in this episode. I can't control what my dog decides to do. There's so much 
I mean, a president or a country or the weather, there's so much out of my control, but I can decide, okay, who do I show up as with Lewis right now? How do I, how do I behave? And, and what do I think? And maybe not, what do I think in terms of, you know, your thoughts come in and you can have disturbing or unproductive thoughts, but then saying, okay, this is unproductive. What's it, what's it trying to tell me? And so it's the choice of thoughts and directing thoughts and then actions. And that's really what I mean, because in my life, what I've recognized is that's, that's really all I can control, <laughs> truly, because the rest of it, things will come my way all the time. And in my life, what I talk about before that, that section that you mentioned um, is a car accident I had where, I mean, the guy didn't stop at a stop sign and, you know, my, my truck was totaled and that was sort of the beginning of a huge healing journey with a brain injury and months and months of, of rehab. And I had no, I had no choice really in the fact that that happened, but then I had a choice in what I made that mean. I could have folded up and said, you know what, now I'm, I'm disabled. I have this, you know, I had this traumatic brain injury. I'm, I had to recover for eight months. You know, I'm not going to be the same or I can say, okay, no, this is taking me to better, better things. And so that's what I mean by directing thoughts is that car accident was awful in, in the instant, but was it? Right. People would say, people always tell me, they say, oh, I'm so sorry, right? That that happened. That's so, I'm, I'm so sorry. And I think to myself, I don't, I don't think it was awful. It was a, an experience. It was physically very challenging, but I learned so much how, being in my bed in the dark by myself. It was really, it was a moment to think about why am I doing things? That's, I had, I had decided to write the book before the car accident sat alone with myself for for eight months kind of healing and and going to therapy sessions and things for my neck and whatever and I mean that's where I had this reckoning of no Kalina you're on the wrong path with with the book with the way you're running your business with who you're being with the, the life you're living I stopped drinking coffee I stopped drinking alcohol it, it changed the trajectory of my life in such a powerful and beneficial way that when people say, I'm so sorry that happened, I think that was a major kind of pivoting point and milestone in my life that opened me up to so much more. Mm. But I think it's, that's an example of choice of thought and then choice of action, of course, because I chose to, you know, do the rehab. I did I visual therapy for my vision. I did all kinds of things to help me get better. And then I continued to act in a direction of, okay, who I was wasn't who I want to be. And so now I have a choice. It really redirected me in my life. And I think that's what most big challenges, those big moments do for us. And what I'm saying in the part you mentioned is, does it have to take something so big? Sometimes, yes, right? We need that huge redirection. But what if we could just take stock of our lives and say, you know, these things are bothering me. They're kind of nagging at my mind incessantly. They're sort of these little irritations that I keep sort of swatting away. What if we could just look at them honestly, eye to eye and say, you know what, I I don't wanna I don't want to think this way anymore. Or I don't want to treat my mom this way anymore. Or I I just this I want to be different. And it doesn't have to take the person passing away or a truck, <laughs> a car accident. Maybe it can just be 
a conscious decision when you realize that something is not really, you're not being the way that you'd like to be sort of like your previous example, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. I don't want to post these videos. I don't want to be this way. You consciously reckoned with yourself and you made an authentic choice. So that's sort of what I'm getting at with that whole bit. I love um, this stuff about what we can and can't control. And there was a concept in uh, that you referenced in the book that I, I hadn't heard before. Um, and that is Buddha's two arrows. Um, so on self-talk and, and how that affects us. I wonder if you could just speak a little bit on that concept and sort of explain that to, to the listeners, because I thought it was excellent. Yeah, and I <laughs> that's something I work on a lot. I think if something painful does happen to you, and it's out of your control. I think that Buddha's two arrows is saying the first arrow is that primary pain. It's the pain of, let's say that that car accident or the person dumping you or whatever happens. But then the secondary arrows are all sorts of thoughts surrounding the event that are not the pain of the event itself. Okay, I got dumped. Okay, that's painful. But then when you make that mean I'm not good enough and okay, maybe no one will ever date me ever again. And you start telling yourself stories. The secondary arrows are all of the stories. And the idea is that you can choose what room you walk into in your mind, so to speak. So, you know, the first arrow hits you and you kind of pull it out and you say, oh man, that really hurt. That one, you didn't have a choice necessarily, but you do have a choice if you allow your mind to kind of <laughs> incessantly hit you with all of those secondary arrows. And we do it to ourselves constantly, right? We mess something up and it's like, oh, that one hurt. I really didn't do a great job with the presentation or the interview or whatever. Man, that that was disappointing. But then I'll never get a job. You know, I'm not a good public speaker. I can't do this. What if, you know, they all judged me and this and this. And we make it mean all of these secondary things that are not true. They're not true. Our mind has decided them, right? From one event, from one arrow kind of stabbing us and hurting us, we make not just second a second arrow, but you know, maybe thousands of these thoughts that are incredibly unproductive. And so whether it takes a thousand unproductive thoughts or two or a million, I mean, the moment you can recognize, hey, I'm going into secondary arrows, which are stories about myself or the event that are not true. Right? It's one thing, okay, I yes, the relationship ended, I'm very upset. That's, that's very sad. I'm sad about that. And to process that pain, mm. that's, that's productive to feel that pain, to allow yourself to have the pain, to have to take, you know, you take a day in bed and you're sad about it and you cry and you watch movies or whatever you do. That's okay. But don't make it mean all of the falsehoods of the secondary arrows. Don't, don't let it, you know, and as, if you do let it, because again, you're human and you will, and that's okay. But I think that's the whole point of meditation, right? In a sense, is that you control your mind, you rule your mind. One of the quotations I use in the book is um, from Horace, and it's, you know, if you don't rule your mind, it will rule you. And that's exactly what I think this secondary arrow and meditation and all of it is for. It's not for when you're sitting there quiet <laughs> on, a, on a mat somewhere, you know, it's, it's for these moments when your mind is going astray. You almost know it's wrong, but you're allowing yourself to go there. You're calling your attention back to the, the true thing, the true event, the true pain of it. And I think when we do that, we notice 
it goes away faster actually because all the secondary stories cloud us from the the first initial true pain or true event so i don't know if that that was clear yeah. but but uh that that's it's a really useful concept i think if we find ourselves thinking in in loops kind of having these stories that we repeatedly tell ourselves or things that kind of haunt us mm. in our minds is to say i'm going to tell a new story here i need to address the initial pain but then i'm going to tell a new story and not let these secondary arrows continue to assail me days weeks months years after the actual initial arrow hit me one thing i'd love to to get you to speak on um because i, I was i've been in the personal development space a long time i've sort of read all the 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 sort of cliche books and i've heard all those messages um and as a youngster i used to get really swept up in the sort of motivational side in it and then go into projects sort of gung-ho with with no sort of plan or structure and end up just lost but with a lot of motivation and um i'd love to ask you because obviously you've You've written a book, you've started a podcast, you started um, a clothing brand, Lead Apparel. You were named one of Business Insider's most innovative career coaches back in 2020. So you would be quite apt to speak on this. One of the the mentors you mentioned in the book, um, you mentioned Dave Ramsey at one point. And I remember when I was younger, I was in a pretty terrible state with my finances Um and I'd always sort of speak to my friend and say, I'm, you know, I'm going to get out of this overdraft. I'm going to, you know, save this much money. But I would just sort of go into it with all this enthusiasm, but with no real plan behind it. And I remember seeing this clip of Dave Ramsey and he said, it's impossible to win with money without a written plan. And I remember that moment is when I sat down, I made a plan and then I saw the the results. And I think that that's quite true in terms of any, you know, dream or, or uh, metric you're chasing is that I, I find with the podcast, with anything I do, going into it with a plan and a structure is far more effective than, than going into it with a sort of head rush of motivation. I wonder how important structure and a proper plan has played in all the success you've seen. Yeah, really good question. I think I avoided it for a very long time. And there's there's a concept called the Dunning-Kruger effect. And the idea, what you're mentioning about emotion, I don't know if you've heard of it, but essentially when you start something, you kind of get this big swell of confidence. Like, hey, I can, I can do this. This is great. This is going to be awesome. I'm going to start the podcast. It'll be great. And then you kind of get into the weeds of running a podcast and you dip down into this valley of despair of wait a second this is harder than i thought this takes yeah. more than i thought there are details this is hard and it, and a lot of people stop there because okay i can't do this they let these kind of secondary stories tell them that they can't do it because it's hard if you persist then you get into this kind of slope of enlightenment and then onto a plateau of sustainability so you sort of sustain and you've learned and gotten over that that first hump, let's say. Um, so I think that's that's the deal with motivation is that if you use that as the driving factor, it will be variable. And especially when you start something, you're excited, you do the first 10 episodes of the podcast and then, okay, wait, I need to do this another 
100, 200, 300 times. And then, you know, it can be really daunting. But if you persist through, um, that really helps with that motivation piece, I think, is not counting on that to to bring you through the valley, that valley. Um, but then when it comes to structure, definitely, I mean, any, and I, I feel like everyone says it, you know, like write down your goals, make them so you can see them, make this vision board, have it, have it be in front of you. I think the value is in bringing it out of your mind, untangling it out of your mind, and then being able to see sort of the fruits of your labor before you've done it, it clarifies your steps. Because if you know, if you even have just a map, okay, here are the seven steps I need to take to get out of overdraft or to, you know, get more healthy or whatever that goal is that you're reaching toward, first of all, make it as specific as you possibly can so that you know when you've gotten there. Yeah. But it's sort of like a, you know, a, having a map. If you have no map, it's very difficult to navigate, especially when things come out of, you know, shiny objects come out of the woodwork and you can get led astray. And again, most of my 20s, I'll, I'll say I resisted, I resisted structure very strongly because it didn't feel, I wasn't in flow. I felt like it was going to constrict me somehow. I didn't want routine. I didn't, these are things that I, heavily heavily resisted with money with time um you know i moved to brazil and it was like there's it's very lax there with time and structure and i said no this is for me i don't need structure i'm i'm above structure this this is not important and when it came down to it i realized that while i was doing great things i didn't i wasn't aiming at anything really i mean i you know I wanted to be good in my work and I tried in the present moment, but I wasn't sure what all of those days were really leading up to. And that's, yes, you can have a satisfying day and you go to bed and you're satisfied, like I said, and that's important. But structure allows you to zoom out to the bigger picture and say, how are these days adding up? And I have the concept of buckets, right? Or how you kind of use your 100,000 hours at work, but the same goes for your whole life. Okay, how are those days adding up over the course of your life structure will make sure that they're adding up in the direction you you really want them to in the long run i think and again that's back to the whole idea of expediency versus long run long-term thinking i i wasn't thinking that way for for you know the first five six years of my 20s i was thinking about today and Structure allows you to clarify what you want for next year and 10 years and then gives you a way better chance at, at achieving it than if you just kind of meander. And you will meander anyway, so I just want to kind of, you know, structure's good. Structure's good to clarify your thinking, to give you a give you direction and a guide, guiding light. Um, but, I mean, it's, it's just... Uh, it's just a map. You can choose kind of which roads you take, let's say. And sometimes, you know, roads will be closed. Things are going to happen that you didn't anticipate. That's the rolling with the punches, adaptability part of the book, I think. But having a map in hand is is a good idea, even if you don't take the exact route you initially plotted out. You talk, um, I think it's towards the end of the book, about meaningful uh, contribution and... When I've had 
sort of more spiritual guests on the podcast before um especially there was this one buddhist monk i had and, and, and when i posed him the final question that i ask everybody on what makes a life worth living um i will ask you this question soon as we start the wrap up but when i asked um him he said that it was to sort of live a life in service of others and i wonder to what extent you agree with that approach to life It's a very good question. I, there's a chapter in the book on service. So I definitely think that that will bring you a huge sense of fulfillment. I think we, I think there, I mean, there are multiple sides to this, but there are two main ones, which is you have to have your basic needs met. But I think what we consider that to be sometimes when we say self-care, you know, like have a, take a bath. It's like sort of misguided, right? It's like, that's not, it's not necessarily what I mean by take care of yourself first and then you can serve others better. Uh, it, it's more sort of, again, that my mental mental game and the way you're thinking and yes, your basic sort of human needs. Having somewhere to lay your head at night is a pretty good basic thing to, to get in order for yourself. Um, but yeah, I mean, once once you have those basic needs met, which are, I think the bar is lower and and also different from what people sort of make it mean today. They they make it mean bathtubs and these, I don't I don't know, shopping or, or these get, treat yourself concept that, yeah. that exists. Um, I mean, you know, live a live a decent life, have food on the table, have have shelter, kind of take care of your basic needs. And then you can serve better. And yes, I think we absolutely gain so much more out of life when we're when we're giving. But it is a it is a cycle, right? So you have to to some degree be able to receive, whether that's a compliment, an appreciation, or someone offering you help in times of need. I think that there's something really again, everything is so cyclical in life. And you know, there have been moments where I've been in need and felt challenged after my car accident is one uh, you know where i needed help and that's where i needed to kind of humble myself and say no, i need i need help from someone else to get to get through this and to support me through this so yes i think being in service to others is is critical to feeling like you spent your life well and recognizing when you are the one that's being served and receiving and being able to do so gracefully kind of completes that cycle because we're we're all kind of, you know, we're all in this together. We're interdependent. It's like, you've got to be good at giving and receiving in order to, I guess, close that, close that cycle. But definitely, I mean, I always derive that deeper sense of satisfaction when I feel like I've you know, I've helped someone at the end of the day, for sure, right? That's that's kind of what I think maybe that person was getting at, um, that satisfaction feeling I keep talking about when you go to bed. Um, but yeah, I'd, I'd add the other side of it as well, which is receive and, and your part in it is, again, your thoughts, your actions, and really it sounds those things sound simple but man <laughs> wrestling getting those two really under control so that you can give and so that you can be of service in the world i mean that that's a tall order for for me anyway it's a lot to just control my thoughts and my behaviors and then that's kind of taking care of yourself 
aside from basic needs. And then, yeah, absolutely. Go, go out and, and make a, a difference somewhere. You know, I had a guy actually, it's interesting. I had a guy ask me recently, he goes, you know, I follow this big YouTuber and he's, I mean, he's this refugee from Ukraine that got displaced and really, really tough life. And I, I want to do something for him, right? Like I really feel for the Ukrainians in their situation. And, you know, this is a cause that really kind of sparked something in him. And he goes, you know, I'd love to find a way to donate to this, to this guy. Kind of, if I see his daughter struggling, I want to help him. And we talked about it. And then we re he realized that, that, you know, that guy had 500,000 subscribers. He was lots of video views, really monetizing his platform and nothing against that. Right. But he, he was clearly well situated in a financial sense. And this, this guy had this bleeding heart for the cause. And we got to a point where he realized, hey, my my wife's boss actually works with refugees coming into Canada and finding them places to live. I could do this locally in my community and see the faces and the impact of the people I'm really helping. And so I just want to kind of put a nod to that to say, I think we're so online and we're so fixed on sort of very distant ways of helping somehow. And I really wish for people and for myself to look at how can I serve kind of what's immediately in front of me. That was really the motivation with lead apparel and the grassroots, right? So he, and now he's actually his wife's boss is getting him in touch with this shelter that's helping refugees kind of, you know, five minutes down the road from his house. And so I just think there's so much you can do really nearby that if something's kind of calling to you, like, hey, Maybe you want to help here. I think getting very clear on how you might actually tangibly move the needle for somebody is just so it's more gratifying for them and you to kind of be right there and serve in person. And that's like, it's a lot coming from me. I built my whole career saying, I want to work from anywhere. I don't want to have to be in a specific place. Um, I think there's something so, so powerful about serving in person locally with the people around you first yeah so i just wanted to make sure i said that about service as well well you're undoubtedly going to to serve many people with the book um and we've talked a lot about it today and um, i am going to let these guys know where they can find it but i just mentioned they are our last question i'd love to pose that to you for kalina right now what makes life worth living yeah, you know, you, I think you asked me this the last time we talked and it was such, a, I, I thought, man, I, I really don't know how to, how to distill it into something eloquent, you know, um, what makes life worth living? I think the attitude or the mindset of willingness makes it worth living because I wake up and I'm I'm willing to see what unfolds and I have every day, even if I do similar things, every single day is unique and different. And so when I wake up, if I can, again, rule over my mind a little bit and say, okay, what's going to happen today? Well, how, how's today going to be? Bring a bit of curiosity to it. I think for me, it's one of the chapters in the book and I reflecting on the whole thing, I think when I remain curious, 
then the things that show up in my life, everything is worth, everything makes life worth living in, at that point because my dog being really excited to see me makes it feel worth living. Um, you know, seeing my, my husband makes it worth going out and there's sunshine. And there, there were a couple of really gray days. And then the first day that there was sun, I thought, this is the meaning of life right here in this moment. This sunshine has been so dark and now it's just a beautiful day. I, I think when I bring that willingness to allow things to unfold and curiosity to the table, it makes everything, it, it makes my whole life worth, worth it or valuable to me. So it's kind of, I don't know if I'm really <laughs> answering your question because I think it's an attitude, again, decision. It's like a choice. What makes life worth living? It's like, well, the way you choose to see it can make everything so magical and amazing. Um, and it's it's really up to you to make that choice. I'm not sure what you were, were, were worried about because I thought that was a really eloquent actor, probably one of the most eloquent we've had. So I really appreciate that. No, that was absolutely amazing. I really love it. We've talked a lot today um, and I hope we haven't given too much away uh, from the book, Memorable Lessons to Leave a Legacy. Please let all these guys watching and listening know where they can find the book because by the time this episode is out, it will be out. <laughs> Yeah. And I just, I want to thank you. You bring out such a, I mean, talk about authenticity, you really bring out, I think, authenticity in your guests because of how you approach the show. And that's another nod to authenticity. You, If you're authentic, that's your impact on others as well, because they'll see that and you'll attract those people and you'll also allow them to be that way. So I just want to kind of acknowledge that in you Lewis because you from the very first conversation we had you're such an authentic person and and kind and that's makes me even tear up it's really beautiful to interact with somebody like that I really appreciate so, it yeah yeah it gets me really emotional actually because I these interactions I mean this makes life worth it this this moment this interaction um so yeah, I mean, you can buy the book anywhere you get books, really. I mean, it's on Amazon, it's on Barnes & Noble, Indigo in Canada. It's it's really anywhere you get books. Um, it's in a hardcover and an ebook version right now. So if you like either a tangible book or a digital version, that's up to you. Um, uh, my hope is to be recording the audiobook myself in the coming months. So, you know, the audiobook and the paperback versions will come out down the line. So your options right now are a tangible hardcover book that I hope is really beautiful and sturdy to hold in your hands with a cup of tea or coffee uh, and then the ebook. So yeah, Amazon um, and, and anywhere really you find your books is where you can get this. Amazing. Well, I'll make sure the links are below in the description. Um, I certainly love a tangible uh, book to hold in my hands. So I can't wait to order myself a physical copy when it's out. Again, I'll leave everything below for everyone. Kleena, thank you so much for joining me today. It's been an absolute pleasure.